Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. All right, this is week two of our sermon series called Short and Sweet, a little story that reminds us that God cares, sustains, and provides. And the title of the message today is, They Came Home. They Came Home. And it's titled that because Naomi is going home. She is on her way home. And last week we saw that she lost everything. Everything has been taken from her. Like a volleyball to the face, life has hit her hard. And what we're going to see is that uh, her suffering has an effect on her. See, because she is suffering, it's actually hard for her to see what God is doing around her and what God is doing for her. The suffering affects her in this Way. And what happens to her can actually happen to us when suffering comes into our life. Here's the big takeaway for us today. God is always working for our good. God is always working for our good. That's what I want us to know today, that he is working around us and that he is working in us. In John 5, verse 17 Jesus says, my father is working until now, and I am working. God is always, always working. And this is important for us to hear that and to actually believe it. As we struggle through all the trials of 2020, it's, it's kind of hard for us sometimes to realize that God is working in us and that he is working around us. The kingdom of God is advancing. We are changing, even if we don't always feel it or think it's happening. So again, Naomi is on her way home. Look at verse 7. It says, so she set out from the place where she came, uh, where she was with her two daughter-in-laws, and they went uh, on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, go, return each of you to her, or her mother's house, May the Lord deal kindly with you as he has dealt with me, with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. So Naomi says, go back. She's like, don't come with me. And then she prays for them. She says, may the Lord deal kindly with you as he has dealt with the dead and with me. Now this word kindly actually is the word hesed. And what it means is steadfast love. Ruth and Orpah have been steadfast in their love towards Naomi and her sons. And she wants God to show them that sort of love. She's like, I want God to love you and be kind to you in this way by giving you husbands. When she says, may you find rest, uh, each of you, in the house of a husband. That's what she wants. She wants God to give them 
husband. Now, her prayer, what it does is that it shows us the extent and power of God's rule. See, God can do a great thing in Israel. He has brought food to them. But Naomi's prayer reveals that he can also do great things in Moab. She says, God can give you husbands. He can bless you in this way. His power, his rule is not limited by location. He can do anything, anywhere. And what that should do for us is that it should actually motivate us in prayer. The fact that God is powerful, can do anything, anywhere, at all times, no matter what, should make us people who are bold in prayer because we believe God can work anywhere at any time. And so it should move us to ask for his help in our life. Then verse 10, she says, and they said, sorry, they, and they said to her, no, we will return uh, with you to your people. But Naomi said to her, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have husbands. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have husbands this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they're grown? Would you refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And verse 14 says, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. She says, Your life is going to be better in Moab. She says, If you come with me, there's no future. There's no hope. Life with me, she's telling them, is only going to get harder. It's not going to get easier. Two times, if you notice in the text, she says, turn back. She says, turn back, my daughters. Don't come with me. She says in verse 12, she says, I'm too old to provide you with husbands. And she also says, if you notice in the text, that God is against me. Look at verse 13. She says, no, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for the sake for your sake that the hand of the lord has gone out against me another translation says for i am in far more bitter straits than you are her she's like my life is destroyed and we should feel for her imagine all that has happened to her in the timing and the and the rush that has it has happened she is experiencing self pity She's experiencing despair, and she's also feeling completely hopeless. That is what's going on with this poor lady. She doesn't see at all how God can take any of this and make any good come from it. See, suffering can make it hard for us to see how God can work in our life. When suffering hits, it becomes hard for us to see how can God do anything with my life. See, what's going on here is Naomi has forgotten verse 6. She has forgotten verse 6 that says, God had visited his people and given them food. She is going home because God is working. But the suffering in her life has made her forget all of this completely. That's what got her on this road. God is being good to the people of Israel. God is being good to Naomi by bringing her home. She doesn't realize she's on the road to blessing. See, this teaches us that suffering messes with our thinking. That suffering affects the way we think. When suffering comes into our life, what we need to do is actually guard our minds. 
That is the step to take. Guard our minds. We do it by going to the word, being reminded again of what scripture says about God, about his love for us, his care for us, what he's actually doing in the world. This going to the word, being reminded that we're in a bigger story, then it's not just about us. Then we also need the people of God. The way we guard our minds is the word, but it's also going to the people of God who remind us of the truth of God, but who also just, who, who remind us that there's somebody who loves us and that they're with us, and then they can come and support us and help us through the struggle. So we go to the word, we go to the people of God, we also go to music. Music. Think about some of the great gospel songs, the, the reminders of the truth of God. Some of the things that we've we sung just now, that we are not alone. What we'll sing later, that God is sovereign over us. All of these things remind us of our reality in Christ. This verse teaches us suffering messes with our thinking, that we have to guard our minds. This verse also challenges us to reflect. It challenges us to reflect on our life, to ask the question, where in my life have I started to believe that God can't work? So we slow down and we ask, where am I believing God can do nothing in this area? And one of the ways you can know that you've stopped believing that God can work is that you've stopped praying. You've stopped praying in that specific area. You are, you are beginning to lose sight of the power and rule and goodness of God. And when we stop believing that God can work, feelings of hopelessness and despair come very quickly. Verse 14 says, they lifted up their voices and wept. Like a child whose hand gets stuck in a door, These, they, they scream. They, they let the emotions flow out. The way the child does not hide their emotions, these ladies don't do it. Last week, I talked about that death has no sting over us in the ultimate sense. But the fact that that is true, that when we die, we go to glory, that we are with the Lord if we're in Christ, that does not mean, though, that death doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt for us to lose somebody that we truly love. See, good theology about death and the afterlife shouldn't make us stoic. That's not what it's supposed to do. We are to express grief and hurt when we experience it. And these ladies model that for us. And so four times in the text, she tells them to leave. She's like, go, don't come, don't go. This is, your life's not going to be better. And the logic, if you see it in the text, actually works on Orpah. It says, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but it doesn't work on Ruth. Again, in the text. But Ruth clung to her. This word clung, it speaks of covenant commitment. See, like that guest that stays way too long, Ruth refuses to leave. She is not going. And she says in verse 15, and she said, see, this is Naomi speaking to Ruth now, see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. She's like, go, Ruth. She's pleading with her to, to leave. She's like, go. But Ruth said to her, do not urge me to leave or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to, to me and more also 
if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go, she's determined, she said no more. Ruth here, what she does is she commits to Naomi in life and for life. She's looking at her and she's saying, till death do us part. See, in going with Naomi, what Ruth is doing is she's walking into an unknown future. She's walking into a story that she does not even know if there's a guaranteed happy ending. This is a picture of courage and sacrifice. And you're starting to see the character of Ruth. And as we get into chapter 2 and 3, you see how strong this woman is. That she's a great model for men and women as we read the Bible of what it means to be a person of character. She looks at Naomi and she says, you before me. See, like Ruth, we need to be willing to sacrifice for people in our life, for the people that we love. Now, the road to sacrifice is hard. Living a sacrificial life is hard, but it builds character. When we're willing to sacrifice, when we look at people and we say, you before me, when we're willing to sacrifice, it increases maturity. We grow God uses it to sanctify us. And when we're willing to sacrifice, it actually reflects our Savior. Think of Jesus. He gave his life so that we could have life. Jesus looked at us and he said, you before me. He gave so that we could have. And what Ruth does here also, she declares her commitment to live life under the rule and care of the true and living God. She's brave and she is also wise. And because she makes the brave and the wise choice, her life is completely changed. Ruth, what she does is she shows the, the non-Christian the step they need to take. Ruth models for the non-Christian that this is the road to take. And like Ruth, when you take a step to follow Jesus, you leave some familiar things behind. Remember, Ruth is leaving her people and her false gods. So there's some things that get left behind. Turning to Jesus has a cost. When we turn to Jesus, we lose some things. But when you turn to Jesus, you gain more. Yes, you lose, but you gain more. You gain a father who cares for you, who will guide you and shepherd you all of your life. You gain the Holy Spirit who, like we sung in the song, gives us victory, that we can live a victorious Christian life. You gain a family. You gain the church. And yes, it's not perfect, but when the church is functioning the way it should, it's this beautiful family that loves and supports one another, and then you also gain hope. I want to say, again, with all due respect to the unbeliever, your life is hopeless at the moment. You have a future that has no hope in it because it's a future that if you stay outside of Jesus Christ, you end up separated from God for all eternity, living in the consequences and reality of your sin. And so again, I don't say that to be harsh. I say that because it's actually a loving thing to tell the person who's outside of Christ that you have no hope. But if you trust in Jesus Christ, you gain a future with hope because you are going to eternity with the Father. And so we follow Ruth. We follow her example. And so to the unbeliever, be brave and be wise. 
Verse 18 says, And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. So the two of them, verse 19, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? They haven't seen her for so long. They're excited. It's 10 years. And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. And the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Again, the town, the town stirred. This idea here, stirred, it speaks of excitement, the actual word. They're excited, but Naomi is not. She says, don't call me Naomi. She wants a new name. She says, call me Mara. That word Mara means to be bitter. And like water that, that just explodes out from a broken fire hydrant, all of her frustration, all of her confusion, all of her pain comes bursting out. And again, like we don't look at this lady and feel nothing, right? We read the Bible and we try to put ourselves in her shoes. It's understandable, this level of frustration that comes from her, the struggle that she has gone through. And she says, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. The Almighty has brought calamity on me. The Lord, she says, has brought me back empty. See, what Naomi is doing here is she is lamenting. We learned about that, that word, that term, when we, when we were in the Habakkuk series, that there, she is lamenting. And this happens when people are in pain. And when someone is lamenting, when somebody is grieving, one of the, one of the best ways that you can love them, one of the, a powerful way you can love a person when they're lamenting and grieving is listening to them. Joseph Bailey, he wrote this. Uh, he wrote this after the death of his sons. And he says, I was sitting torn by grief. It's in the book. It's called A View from a Hearse. He says, I was sitting torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of, of why it happened. So this person's coming. They're trying to explain it. Here, here's the ex explanation behind what you're going through. And of the hope beyond the grave, he talked constantly. He said things I knew to be true. I was unmoved, except to wish he'd go away. It's just it's the constant talking. It wasn't helping he finally did. Then he says, another came and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour or more, listened when I said something, answered briefly, prayed simply, and left. I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. We need to understand that when people are suffering, when they're struggling, when they're in pain, we don't have to try to explain it away. We don't have to throw all these cliches at them. We can minister to people with our presence, with our ears, just being good listeners, and with our prayers for them. Ears, presence, and prayer. It's not on us to try to explain everything that God is doing. Sometimes in life, things happen, and we, and we just look at people and we're like, I don't know. But we can pray together. And in verse 21, she says, the Lord has brought me back empty. 
She thinks she's come back with nothing, but she is wrong. When you read scripture, one of the things that you want to do is look for repeated words. It's just a good habit to find out and figure out what is the text actually saying. Now, there's a word that gets repeated 12 times in chapter 1, and it's the word returned. 12 times it's repeated. And verse 22 says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. It says, Naomi returned. But then, and again, this is just good reading of Scripture. Then it says, Ruth returned. So Ruth becomes the subject, and it says, she's returned. Now notice this. The Bible is saying, Ruth returned to a place she's never been. She returns home. That is what the text is trying to tell us. Naomi returned home, but so did Ruth. She returned to a place she has never been. And this is, this is a picture of us when we trusted in Jesus. Like the prodigal son, we came home. And we are right where we belong. God brought them home. That's why the, text, the title of the sermon is, They Came Home. Because both women have come back to their God. And he has brought them back at an extremely strategic time. Again, in the text. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. What does that tell you? It tells you that people are out in the fields working again. That bread is going to start to flow. That the fact that people are out working again is what leads to Ruth meeting Boaz. It's an extremely strategic time. See, what Naomi doesn't see is that the person God is going to use to bless her is standing right next to her. Again, she's on the road to blessing. God is working and she can't see it. See, suffering can make it hard to see how God can work in our life in the future and how he is working in our life presently. That is how it can affect us. Do you know what Naomi does? She reminds me of, of the people who are at the cross. When you read Luke 22, God is working and there's all kinds of people who are at the foot of the cross and they can't see it. That God is actually at work. There's the people mocking, trading, the, trading his clothes. They are mocking, but what they can't see is that the Messiah is dying, that he is giving his life for us. There's Mary, and she's at the cross, and she is weeping, and, but what she cannot see is the amount of lives her son would change. She can't see it. There's the disciples. They're scared. They're nervous. Some of them aren't even there. They're hiding out. But what they can't see is how this death is going to make them bold. They can't see how this death on the cross is advancing the kingdom, advancing the gospel, that the world is going to be completely changed. They can't see it. Many people can't see, but one person can see. 
One person can see God working. Do you know who it was? It's the thief hanging next to Jesus. He can see God working, and do you know what he does? He turns to Jesus, and he is saved. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And what's interesting is that, that this is just coming to me now, the word paradise, do you know what it, it, what it actually means? It means garden. Jesus says, today you will be with me in the garden. Back to Eden, this place of blessing and joy. God's working. Only one person can see it, and their life is completely changed. See, the cross, what it is, the cross is a reminder to us of how God has worked. The cross is a reminder to us that God is working. The cross is a reminder that God is continuing to work. Here's what I want us to understand. Here's why I've shared all of this and I'm trying to bring it home and land the plane for us. With all that is going on around us in 2020, what I want us to know as a church, and this, God has sort of brought this home to my own soul today as I was driving over here. With all that we're experiencing, with all the changes, with the constant ways we have to flex and all those kind of things. And it's fine that we have to do that because that's where God has us. But we cannot forget that in all of that, that the work of God has not stopped. That God is still working. Don't let the trials going on in your life or the trials that will come stop you from seeing what God is doing in you. Don't let those things stop you from seeing what God is doing around you. And what we need to do is we need to ask the Holy Spirit to give us spiritual eyes so that we can see. Because here's the thing. When we remember and see that God is working, it keeps us hopeful. We don't lose hope. And it also keeps us joyful, joyful. And we need joy right now. And we have lots to be joyful about because our Father is working all the time. The work does not stop. And so we continue to trust and hold on to hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you are always, always at work. And I pray, Father, that you would give us the eyes, the spiritual eyes, to see what you are doing in us and around us. I pray, God, you would supernaturally help us to understand why you are doing what you're doing, why we're in the times that we are in. And I pray, Father, that we would be hopeful, that we would truly be joyful. God, I know from talking to a few people this week that the, the new restrictions, it's just, just tough on them. And so I pray for your comfort and your grace, Lord, over there. Life. I pray for us as a church that you would help us to be uh, intentional in seeking to encourage and reach out to each other during this time and help us to trust in your goodness and in your work in us and around us. Thank you for Jesus Christ who gave his life, the greatest work. Help us to trust you, Lord, we pray. 
to believe in your sovereign goodness, that you're always working for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.